BL, welcome back for another episode, mate. Hello, James. How are you? Good to talk to you again. Good, mate. We're here on a, a very special day when we are recording this podcast, BL. Can you tell our listeners why it's a special time? Well, it is, James, isn't it? And it's, um, it's sort of uh, coincidental. We didn't plan this, did we? No, we did not. This is our usual recording night. Um, but the 27th of April holds um, a, a great deal of importance to me in terms of my career. So just briefly, um, on the 27th of April 1987, I started my first day of permanency uh, at Miller Public School. Wow. And uh, I purposely planned my separation day from the department to be the same day. So today being the 27th of April, it is my official last day of employment with the New South Wales Department of Education. And 36 years later, I'm done. I've been on leave, of course, and I've had my farewells and people are probably sick of me, um, <laughs> my, uh, my retirement, the inverted commas. <laughs> But uh, people may be relieved to know that it, it finishes today. Well, mate, congratulations on, uh, I know I've shared um, on a number of different occasions, but congratulations again, mate, on your service. 36 Thanks, years, it's, it's something to be proud of. And I, I know that I saw a picture just before of having a nice red to, to ease into the night. Uh, look, I again planned... To, uh, to have that beautiful bottle of red. And I've still got a glass going here, James. So this episode could be interesting. You may uh -huh. have to, you may have to uh, edit a little bit more carefully than you normally do. Can oh. I share with you, James, though, the weekend before the 27th yes. of 1987? Please, please share. I thought bro. I might, the, the, the listeners might be interested. You know, it's not all, you know, noble and special and so forth. So the, the weekend prior to my, me starting at Miller Public School, one of my mates was getting married in Maitland. So my girlfriend there, my wife now, Lisa, we went up to Maitland. We stayed at a, a motel uh, in readiness of the wedding. Had a great night, great wedding. Got very drunk, enjoyed ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> uh, left the wedding and discovered that my car, which back then, and you won't appreciate this, James, but yeah. I don't hold that against you, yeah. was a... Tirana hatchback with a five litre V8. Brad, that, that, that's just foreign uh, foreign language you just spoke. 977 model, beautiful car. Anyway, it broke down on me. So we were so drunk, we didn't care. We left it, we parked it actually at a service station across the road from the motel. And I remember saying to the bloke in the service, I said, Look, can you please keep an eye on this for us? It's broken <laughs> down, but I don't want anyone to steal it. So the next day, this is prior to mobile phones, I phoned my brother and said, look, I've broken down. Is there any way you can help me? Yeah. He came up his ZD Fairlane with a car trailer on the back. We pushed my Tirana on the back of the car trailer <laughs> and we drove that back to uh, Gosford. Um, so this was the Anzac Day long weekend. And I can't remember what day was not what, but I knew that on the 27th of April, I had to be at Miller, which was down at Liverpool. <laughs> I, had no car, I had no car, James. So what'd you do? So, so, so we had to work out what the heck I was going to do. So again, my brother in his, uh, his um, enduring kindness said, take my car, mate. So I drove from Gosford down through to Liverpool, out to west, southwestern Sydney, Miller, which was a suburb of Liverpool, in a 351 V8 ZD Fairlane, 71 model. 
And I remember driving into the car park at Miller and everyone was sort of looking like, who is this who? Like a big extractors, big exhaust. It was a big thumping video. <laughs> and I drove into the car park in a big blue ZD Fairlight. And they were all looking at me like, who is this guy? What is What the heck is he doing in our car park? So that was my entrance to Miller Public School. And uh, I remember walking into the principal at the time, John Cookshank. Who Shout out first... to you, John. Shout out. Well, let's hope John's still around. But oh, yes, let's hope. Let's hope, they are. Let's hope he is. But uh, and John made me feel very welcome, and I started uh, that day on a year four class, uh, and there began uh, my permanent career. Now, of course, I started teaching in 1985, but um, that was uh, that was my uh, my entree into Miller Public School. And I had to borrow, I think, a few cars. I think I drove my mum and dad's car a few times before I could get the Tirana fixed. Um, oh, and this is in the days, James, you might appreciate yeah. this, before motorways. Motorways. So you, you drove down through, you know, uh, um, Pennant Hills Road and through um, the Macarne set at Liverpool and through Cabramatta. Yes. It, was a, it was a heck of a drive. Barry, did they still have horse and carts at that time, mate? Or? Oh, come on, James. That's unfair. Well, Bill, did, did the staff members that you were working with, did, I guess, their first impressions um, change of you during that time there, mate? Well, I think they got used to me because I am a car buff slash motor car, motorbike buff, mm-hmm. and uh, I changed many cars even over the five years that I was at Miller. Um, so I think they got used to seeing... Very strange and alternate cars there. But, yes, I think they realised I was a bit of a redhead. Well, Bill, thank you for sharing that story with us, mate. Before we go into what's hot, anything else that you've been up to, mate? Uh, no, mate, no. It's uh, just been a nice time since uh, my my 60th birthday and uh, a lovely time with family. How was your holidays, James? Did you have a nice break? Yeah, good, mate. It was just filled with rest and relaxation. Um, besides going to um, Sydney um, for uh, a night and day, it was more just relaxation, going for some walks, getting things done around the house. Um, and myself and my partner are getting married at the moment. So a lot of, a bit of wedding planning as well, BL. That sounds lovely, James. Yeah. That's really nice. It does. It does, mate. But what's hot? What's caught your eye on the socials? Well, not, not as, um, not as uh, anything specific, but what I would like to make comment on is that um, some of our predictions from episode six, um, Change in the Air, have come to fruition. Okay. Now, you might remember, James, we talked about the change in government and what we might predict to expect. And I said at the time, I predict that the changes, the first changes will be at the top and the... Um, you know, the um, the people in the, um, the senior positions are probably the most vulnerable. Well, we've seen that happen. Already? Obviously, Georgina Harrison has gone, um, and Murat Dizdar is now acting in the position of Secretary of Education. Um, the, the other thing I would say, that if I was sitting in a senior and a not-so-senior position in educational services, I'd be a little nervous because I think that's the next step. And I, again, alluded to that in episode six, that generally when there's a change in government, the, um, the top positions are changed because they're usually political appointments. And then they move through educational services. And that's where you see changes in the organisational structure and you see some changes in approach to educational delivery. Um, Murat's already 
um, alerted the community to, to some of his, his thinking around that with um, some of the conditions on um, uh, positions in uh, educational services being um, uh, an interesting concept, Jane. So I'd, yeah. I'd be interested in your thoughts about spending a week in a school and having some, you know, relevant experience. I don't know how that will look logistically. That's an interesting one. But I, again, if I was sitting in those positions, I'd be a little bit nervous because I think that's the next wave of change to come. Um, I will say this, though, James. Yeah. I, I, I'm a little cynical. Talk to I read, uh, well, I read Murat's uh, latest communication to staff and he talked about the, the five um, the five priorities, and I'm just going to refer to those. Jim, yeah, if you them to us. You know, teacher workload and reducing unnecessary workload, uh, funding for public schools, uh, temporary to permanent staff role conversion, paying conditions for teachers and school staff, and curriculum changes. Now, that's great. They're really important um, items to be addressed. But we've been talking about that for ages, James. We have, Bill. There's nothing new there, James. Talk to me further, Bill. What are you, what well, are you inferring there? Well, my cynicism is, James, that at the moment it's just the same rhetoric going on. But by a different voice. Different voice. And, and I have seen some commentary and, uh, in the socials um, which refers to the um, the acting secretary who was yeah, very optimistic very optimistic and who was but was there yeah under the previous regime yeah now I, I I can't presume to know what pressures or restrictions he may have been under yeah definitely but I am a little bit cynical because we were talking about this our federation was talking about this there was no action there was no traction on any of those five points. And yet here we are, a new government and a new acting Secretary of Education talking about the same issues that we we raised as a, as a collective. Um, I'm not sure, James. I mean, yeah. there needs to be some action on those five points and That's... I think there needs to be some action sooner than later or otherwise it's just more talk. Yeah, I, I agree. Um... And I, I know that um, publicly um, the Minister and the the Minister for Education, Prukar, um, have come out and said about, you know, their, their goal is about reducing teacher workload and paying mm. teachers more. Um, the words from, again, this is all from my understanding, Pru has um, ordered the department to start negotiations with the Teachers' Federation, but... Mm -hmm. Wow, mm -hmm. negotiations. You know, I guess mm -hmm. that is the first first part. Um, and I saw on Twitter that um, the the Premier put out a tweet saying that he has reduced um, teacher workload by five hours. I'm, I'm not sure what data there well, is to support my problem, that though, or Jim. what that looks like. Here's my problem, Jim. I, I used to watch um, and read um, updates from the previous government and the previous yeah senior leadership talking about how they've reduced workload by, you know, 10%, 13% and blah, blah, blah. And do you remember the term clearing the decks, James? Yes, I, I definitely recall that. We were clearing the decks last year. Yeah, and the year before. And the year before. So, you know, I guess I can afford to be uh, cynical and um, I can be a little bit um, 
a bit daring now in my yeah, current position. You can, you can technically dare. unemployed tomorrow. <laughs> um, you can't. No, but I, I can understand, mate. Like, and mm. I think in all due um, respects in that area, I have noticed a lot of optimism on socials with with the change. Mm. And you know, mm. obviously, our, our leader at the um, moment has worked in a school, has been a school principal, and I think mm. he draws on that connection. Um, because it's really like we know when you're telling a story, you need to have that connection point. Correct. Um, and like you said, I, I'm not normally cynical, but I do feel the exact same as you because I'm, I, I want to see action. I, I, I yes. understand how politics work and, you know, a big part of politics is blaming the government um, and what they didn't do or talk about other things rather than actually talk about the problem. That's the key, yep. key tactic of politics. Um, so I'm really interested to key, key what the keys are going to be. Um, and Well, the, the, the key word is action. There's yeah. got to be some action and there's got to be some action soon. Otherwise, it's just more words. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like one of the things and on socials, I saw our um, Premier uh, tweet out, this is, I think it was just after the, the election win, um, he was talking about um, in 1,100 schools offering and funding breakfast club, right? And we know that some of our schools already do that and offer mm -hmm. that. But mm -hmm. do you know adding breakfast clubs in schools is actually adding workload? Because who does breakfast club? Teachers. Teachers. Who's adding? Who's ordering? Teachers. Who's doing the duty? Depending Teacher. upon the space within the school, who's washing up or who's cleaning the toaster? Who's... You know what I mean? So I when do. we talk about these things about breakfast club, yeah, that's really great. And But aren't we putting the thing of saying to parents, oh, the schools will feed them. Yes, mm. schools already do mm. this, 100%. Mm. A lot of schools already do this, but we shouldn't have to. <laughs> shouldn't have to. And, and it comes back to my point from one of our early episodes. You said, what's the, the key change that's required? And I said, pay. Yeah. You've got to pay us. You've got to pay us more. And once that pay comes through, there's a whole range of other things that will follow on. And and one of the points that's been raised again is improved pay. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I've made that point. I don't think teachers, and I don't want to generalise here, and I am yeah. generalising because I know there will be some who will be take exception to this, but generally teachers are happy to do the extras if they feel that they're being respected in by way of remuneration yeah and my understanding bl and again i could be wrong so that because there's so many releases mm. through through different avenues um the, the understanding is they're in negotiations and i think there's several months of negotiations till we're actually going to hear what those findings are um mm. and i don't know why the process has to be that long i understand there's treasury well, and budget know. and you know different things but is the I would money have thought there? the is negotiations were the same as the negotiations that have been on the table for the last 12 months. And two, prior to the election, obviously, I understand the Federation worked very closely with Labor and the, mm. there's a close a relationship there. So I thought they would have had that before the election of if they were elected, this is what yes. we're going to do because that's why we were voting red, right? Because Ooh. they were going to support us. Absolutely. I mean, and I said that in the last episode, James, that um, they have had been given a mandate to govern us based on a few strong promises. And um, there are a lot of teachers, I'm sure, uh, would have voted in that way to to get that level of respect. Now, look, I don't want to, I don't want to um, 
rain on the parade of optimism at the moment. Yeah, but like I you, feel. I have sensed that there is a, a there is a level of optimism within the the workforce that I have yep. not seen for some time. I agree, and that is fantastic. Yeah, I agree, but come on, people at the top, deliver. You've yep. got to deliver. Do not do this to this profession again. Yeah, and I think there's a window, Bill. You know that window oh, of optimism. Yeah, yeah. that yeah. window of optimism will only last a certain amount because obviously coming off of school holidays too, where people yep. have had the opportunity to be recharged. Yep. We we understand that term two is quite um, a, a difficult term for for lots of different reasons. Mm-hmm. So that optimism mm-hmm. they need to they need to act now. Correct. You know, to yeah, absolutely agree with Jim. But again, my my opinions do not reflect the view of my employer, and and they are my own opinions there, Bill. Well, James, my opinions reflect just me, and I couldn't care less. Yeah, that's what else they reflect because <laughs> because of the obvious. I got a lovely letter today saying, James, can I read you my email from the Did you Human get... Resources Ed Connect? Yeah, yeah please no, read got, it. I got one today. You got an email, please. Yeah, dear Bradley. Yep. I wish to wow. confirm that your retirement has been accepted, thank you, with your last day of service being 27th of April 2023. Hmm, correct. Mm. Um, it goes on to talk about my final pay slips, blah, 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 if I want to casual teach, blah, blah, blah. And the last sentence, I would like to thank you for your contribution to New South Wales Public Education. It's just lovely. Wow. But that's it. That's did you, Bill? Did you get? I, I can't recall, mate, because it's been some time. Did hmm. you get your service medal delivered? I did. Your yes, retirement I did. medal? I, I did. Yes, oh. I, that's very lovely. I, I no, that's good. I was it. just making sure on hmm. on that note. But yeah, yeah the the sign off in in that regards. I, I know hmm. I saw from an, another colleague last year who had retired, and I think they might have even snapshotted some of that letter hmm. and post. Hmm. You know, they they said. I, I will say name. this, and I find this ironic, but. The separation process by the department is very efficient. Yeah. Oh gosh, yes. From from the day that I notified yeah. Ed Connect, it was very quick. Acknowledging it, accepting it, issuing casual uh, teaching numbers. This is what you got to do. This is what will happen. Very efficient. Well, that's positive. If, if the department could be as efficient across other. Um, avenues within our workplace, it would be the best department in the world. That's right. Because the separation process is is spot on. Spot on. Uh, that's hmm. a system I'd be happy for them to fall down a, a little bit in if they. <laughs> yeah, they you'd like them to stuff areas. it up a bit, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah, that's right, mate. But what's our topic today, James? Our topic, um, BL. Our listeners have shared and that they've enjoyed conversations that we've had around leadership. So. I wanted to speak to you tonight, Bill, in this episode about leadership qualities. What are leadership qualities and what do they mean to you? Um, yeah, and I did a little bit of um, preparation for this, James, because you did give me a heads up. And I, I think what I want to say first is that it doesn't matter where you look or where you read, there are opinions, there are thoughts, there, are, there is research on what makes a quality leader. So I'm not even going to attempt to to suggest that I have the answer to that question. Um, there are pages, there are, you know, huge research documents on leadership. Our own department has articulated leadership, I think, fairly well. 
you know, there's your top 10, there's your seven leadership qualities, there's your five qualities of good leader, there's your top 20, and so on. It goes on and on. Um, and it doesn't take much of a Google search to get a, um, you know, some, some sort of um, opinion on good leadership. So I guess what you're asking me is, what is BL's top five leadership qualities? Yeah, take me through on BL. Thank you for okay. rewording that. Number one, James. Yeah. Emotional intelligence, having a high EQ. Talk to me about it. No, I'll come back to that. All right. Number two, integrity. Number three, courage. Four, resilience. And number five, innovation. That's BL's top five. Now, I'll, I'll talk about each one in a little right. bit more detail for you. Um, I'm not saying that that's the be-all and end-all, but it's BL's top five. So let's go back to EQ, emotional intelligence. I've said, I think, before, I think a good leader needs to be self-aware. They've got to understand themselves and they've got to understand others. Um, the, the, this, this builds trust. It, it builds awareness. Um, it's, to me, it's a really important one. And can I just say, too, those five are not in order of importance or preference. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you need to tick that box. Integrity, as you know, Jim, that's a really important one to me. You've got to have some beliefs. And I've talked about that in an earlier episode about, you know, as a leader, you've got to stand for something. Um, and with it, with those beliefs, you've got to stand by those beliefs. You've got to follow through on it. Um, you've got to act on them and you've got to be consistent. Uh, courage. I think leadership is about being brave in a whole range of contexts. And I'm not just talking about, and I've had plenty of situations where I've literally had to have been brave because there's been a, uh, an escalating situation or an emergency situation. I'm not necessarily talking about that, but that's part of it. But I'm talking about making those decisions that aren't popular, that aren't always liked. If they're the right decision, they're the right decision. And sometimes as a leader, you've got to be brave about making those right decisions. Um, I think it was only the last episode we talked about resilience. It was, and I'm gonna, we unpacked that. Yeah, and I'm going to come back to that because I, I still stand by that. And I think in that last episode I spoke about that to be a resilient leader, you've got to understand yourself and, and you've got to under, understand um, how how you are as a resilient person before you can be before you can be a resilient leader. And I still stand by that. Um, you've got to you've got to understand yourself before you can take responsibility for others. Um, and to guide an organisation through tough or bad times, you've got to be resilient. And that's what leadership's about. And the fifth one I put in there, innovation, because I think um, I think there's an expectation that as a leader that you, you, you bring something special to the table. Um, and, and, and to me, innovation is special. Now, I'm not talking about being a particularly creative person. But you've got to bring some fresh ideas to the position of leadership, in my opinion, um, because I think, you know, an innovative leader um, through their ideas is providing huge opportunities for other people. Now, you know, under my leadership, 
I was a bit of an ideas person. I didn't always know how to bring them to fruition. And, and in fact, you were one of the people who brought a lot of my ideas um, into, into real life practice. Um, but, but without sounding grand, you needed me to come up with those ideas. Um, and I think that's what a leader is. And there is a quote from, um, I've read somewhere, I think it was, um, who was the boss of Apple, Steve Jobs? Yeah, correct. Yeah. So he said, innovations differentiate a leader from a follower. And I think that's pretty spot on. Um, so they're, they're my top five, mate. Uh, um, and, and within that, I, I said at the start, there's a thousand lists of what makes a good leader. But I think, in my opinion, if you've got those top five, another another thing I would add here, a good leader surrounds himself with people who cover the things that are missing in their leadership. So you don't what, what I'm suggesting here is as a good leader, you don't need to have all 20 or all 50, or you don't have to cover all the, those leadership qualities. You've got to have a core group, um, and they're my core group. But the other things that you're missing, you surround yourself with people who can who can bring those missing aspects to your leadership to the table. Um, and I probably then you, you could say, well, a good leader recognises uh, their strengths and uh, can identify their weaknesses and brings a group of people around who covers for those weaknesses. What What's your thinking, mate, on... on um, well, I, I like the BL's top five. We might get that um, on a, a T-shirt there, BL, or get it yeah. in a book, mate. <laughs> Plenty of books out there, Jim. Yeah, that's right. We need another book. That's that's what I was going to start with. Like you were talking about, BL, what you were prefacing before you went into your top five. There's so much research. There's so many books. There's so many journal articles. Um, mm. There's so many motivational speak, speakers and um mm. Every, everyone and every industry, every business has their idea of what makes a good leader. And I think it is so subjective based upon sometimes in our workforce, we've seen someone who mightn't have been, who mightn't had been the, the best leader. And we realise there's traits we actually look for in our leaders. But there's also been times when we've had great leaders um, when we've been in a workforce or, or different areas where we're like, wow, they're great traits, which I find um, help. So I think that even as an employee, we're all going to have different thoughts on what makes a good leader because yeah. it makes up what our belief system is and how we like things to operate is so different. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I think that's where we get the differing answers and research with within that space. But like I don't have anything fancy of my top five. I'm just going to more talk to things that I guess come to mind. And I think, pardon me, the, the first thing that comes to mind for me is your your communication skills. Um, mm. Because to be a great leader, you need to be able to communicate. Um, mm -hmm. And what I mean by communicate is that as a leader, you are driving a school, an organisation, a group of people or whatever it is, to be able to achieve something. And if you mm -hmm. can't communicate what it is that's needed to be done, how are you leading them to move forward? And that moves into from our communication skills. We need to have our interpersonal skills as well because yeah. if I can't work 
with people and I can't model and be respectful, but also be non-judgmental and treat everybody fairly within my team, I'm going to become under come under scrutiny because people are going to see through me that I have favorites or different things like that. So I think interpersonal skills, when we are working with people, we, we don't love every person that we work with, but yep. my interpersonal skills is I treat everyone with respect and uh, that I have the ability because everybody is so diverse and different that I have my interpersonal skills to go in and out of depending upon who I am speaking to and that I'm able to draw that connection because we know that connection is so important um, with, with when we're leading others. So I guess my first two are our communication and then secondly, our interpersonal skills. Mm-hmm. Um, one, you were talking about bravery and uh, like my this one, the third one that I'm speaking about, it links very much, but you need to be courageous. We need yeah. to be courageous in our leadership um, because at different times within our leadership, we need to speak up. You know, if there's things that we know that are not go- that aren't going to work for our team, we need to be respectful and we need to use our communication skills to be courageous to communicate that that mightn't work. Um, yeah. And we need to be courageous linking to your um, one talking about innovation, like challenge the status quo. It's not like you're saying about being creative or um, in the way that it's just adding more on because we just want to keep innovating, innovating, innovating. It's yeah. in the way of challenging ideas, standing up, pushing the boundaries and never just settling for status quo. And I guess it's important to, things are working. It's good about just maintaining them and, and uh, keeping things going, but yeah. always be courageous to challenge the status quo and keep pushing forward. So my first three, Bill, communication skills, interpersonal skills, and being a courageous leader. Yeah. Something that I think also is important in, again, subjective um, for me is coming back to what you shared too, emotional intelligence, because a human need is to be emotionally connected with. And for as a leader, you, like you've shared with maybe in times, a high EQ is having an understanding to be able to go into different settings, to lead different teams and having the understanding that you're working with a complete different workforce. Mm-hmm. So you are going to change your tools in your toolbox. You're mm-hmm. going to draw on your EQ skills to lead this team of people how they need to be led because they are completely different and in a completely different context with completely different skills and that emotional intelligence to be able to walk into a room or walk into a school and have that understanding and reading people's emotions and also reading the room of when's the right times to do things because it's exactly right when to shut up and when to when to say something can i can i throw an interesting thing here i've been watching chris bins yeah and murat and i think if you if you reflect on what they've done over the last few weeks yeah. particularly Chris Mins, I think he is making an emotional engagement with his population. Yeah. He's doing some things, I think, and I could be wrong here, but I think he's being very strategic in how he's connecting 
with our community. Yes. And which, is, which is winning him over and which will allow him to move our state forward. Like mm-hmm. going to a hospital at, you know, midnight in an ED ward. And, I, yes, I know it's all PR, but it's, it's really powerful connections he's making. The, the level of optimism with our department at the moment is on the back of some of the things that Murat's been putting out there, his communication with the different stakeholder groups. He's connecting on a really emotional level. If, you, if you're very just um, objective and, and analysing what, what he's doing or what he's being advised to do, it's very clever and it's very interesting. And I, I've, I think... Um, it's it's a really good approach that they're using. I think they they've learnt from mistakes. You know what I mean? Like in in yeah. that space too. Like even from Chris Minns on his socials, like posting photos out. Like he's just an everyday person. Is the image well, very he's much that he's creating? Him. Yeah, he's, he's connecting in a very clever way, and and I I quite like that from from the, the perspective of um, watching leadership and leadership in action. Can I also make the point too, mate, some of our best leaders, not just in education, but yeah. leaders per se, are flawed, imperfect people. Yeah. So I, I just want to get that message across to our listeners. I'm not suggesting that a, a quality leader is a perfect person. Oh, there's no such thing, mate. No, no, but, the, but, but particularly as a leader, there are really really good leaders are quite flawed in certain ways they've got really distinct imperfections but they make up for those things because they've got some some other really important things going yeah. on 100 um but like talking on that point I, I i know i've shared with mine communication skills interpersonal skills being mm-hmm. courageous mm-hmm. um and the emotional intelligence there um and, and i guess they're they're the for therefore that are important to me. And mm-hmm. I guess if I reflect upon my leadership, I guess therefore um, traits that that I invest a lot into because I found that they've helped me to create that connection with people. And when people have that connection with you, they want to work with you. They don't want Absolutely. to let you down. And then when that, you've got that, a team of people is, who want to work with you, who do not want to let you down and yeah. who believe in you, you yep. can achieve so many great things. So absolutely. They're, absolutely. they're the four that stand out for me. So we've got, we've got BL's top five and JG's top four. Yeah, that's right. Perfect. JG's top four and BL's mm-hmm. top five, mate. Mm. You know, so, but I like how you, you draw out. It's, it's really interesting to sit back and to um, look at different leaders in different sectors and it, mm. like you were saying, from an objective mm. lens and really analysing what it is and what they're doing. Because well, I can I share with lessons. you something I overheard a of leader course. say recently? Yeah. And I think this is leadership era 101. Mm-hmm. The, the leader said to one of um, his colleagues, mm-hmm. it was, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was basically, yeah, yeah. I, I'm just, I'm no different to you. So say I'm the boss and I'm, you're one of my teachers and I'm saying, yeah, James, you and I are the same. We're just yeah. we're on the same level. You know, we're, we're equals, blah, blah, blah. Now, face value, that I, I get that sentiment. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. You know, I'm probably no better than you as a human being. However, James, yeah. 
I'm being paid $160,000 a year. And what are you on, 100K? Yeah. Okay. So the person on 100K possibly is thinking, well, that's cool, but you're getting 60K a year better more than me. And mm -hmm. I expect you <laughs> to, to bring something to the table more than just being the same as me. Because if you're no different to me, and you're not offering more than me. Why the heck are you getting paid 60K a year more than me? So I, when I heard that, I thought, I can't believe that you've said that. Yeah. I can't believe you said that to one of your colleagues. Whilst I appreciate the sentiment, you, you don't like as Credibility a Credibility is, yeah. Well, as a leader, there's an expectation that we're not equal. Yeah. Like, as a leader, I was I had the the understanding. Well, I'm being paid a lot more, and people therefore will expect me to deliver more. And I'm expected to come up with some ideas. I'm expected to be consistent. I'm expected to have integrity. I'm expected to be brave. I'll give you another quick. How, how are we going for time, Jim? Mate, BL, mate, I love this conversation. Time's good. All right. Let me tell you another story about bravery, and this is about an, an emerging issue. So there was a, an afternoon I was sitting in my office, mm -hmm. received a phone call from the office, and they said the police are on the phone. So I took the call. They said, um, this is such and such police. Um, we've had a report that you've got a gunman on site. Are you guys okay? And I said, well, <laughs> I'm not aware of anything. Yeah. Um, I said, nothing's been reported to me. So this is about three o'clock. Kids are sort of going their different ways. I said, I'll go and look. <laughs> anyway, to the police's credit, I have never seen such a response. There were high patrol cars turning up. There were um, motorcycle cops on bikes uh, turning up. There were plainclothes coppers. There were uniform coppers. They came from everywhere. The response was fantastic. Vests on, guns drawn, like they thought there was a gunman on site. Anyway, the, the, the funny story is one of my teachers said she laughed when she saw this. So there's a there's a quadrangle at my last school and there's a, an upper level. And she said she was watching me and I was leading this group of coppers who all had their vests on and their guns and so forth into the rooms, checking rooms. Mugs over me had nothing on, no gun, no bulletproof vest, nothing. But I was leading the way. Now, that was probably, not probably, it was definitely foolish of me and Work Health and Safety would have my guts for garters when I share this story because I did everything wrong. But I was the leader and I felt responsible. It was my school, it was my students, it was my staff. Um and I know that sounds a bit dramatic, but it but it exemplifies, I think, what I'm trying to say about that courageous leadership, that there's a whole range of courage required as a leader. Uh, and she said it was just a laugh. She said all these coppers were behind you and, Brad, you were leading them into the rooms looking for this alleged gunman. Let me just say this. There was no gunman. There was a little year two student who decided to phone the police with a prank on the bus and <laughs> there was nothing to it. But it was uh, it was one of those interesting stories, Jim.
Oh, BL, thank thank you for sharing that story with us, mate. And that's a that's a classic one. I remember when you first shared that one with me, and one of those stories I'm I'm sure that we remember. And I, I was saying to you um, pre-show that it'd be lovely to organise possibly at our next episode um, yeah. to speak about some of your stories throughout your career because I think there'd be Absolutely. so many things um, yeah. for our listeners to to get out of um, your your fabulous career, mate. That brings us to the end of this week's episode, mate. So thank you for your insights, your thoughts. I, I always find it so um, interesting and um, thought-provoking, mate. So thank you for your time. Appreciate it, Jim. Yeah, and always lovely to talk to you. All righty, mate. Well, I'll see you next time. See you next time, mate. Bye.